And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today, we're bringing you a joint episode. Uh, and you'll probably hear stuff in the background because I have a house full of children today. And I have loud ass dogs, but that's nothing new from my side. Uh, today's episode is about vanishing vessels. But before we get started, Samantha, what are we drinking? We are drinking... Um, well, it's a drink that's called Foghorn, which I'd never heard of. It's two parts gin, half part lime juice, and four parts ginger beer or ginger ale, whichever you prefer. Um, you're just going to add all the ingredients to a nice filled glass in the order provided and stir gently to combine. Garnish with a lime wedge if you like. Ta-da. Da. there's your drink so cheers cheers all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna kick this off um because you got a lot to say i do have a lot to say (laughs) it's nothing new this is true before we get started though i do have to tell you that um when i wasn't crying during my therapy session this week um (laughs) my therapist did want to say like she apparently she does listen to the at this podcast quite for like regularly and um she was like, you guys do such a good job. Like, she's like, I'm so proud. I want to write a review for you guys. But I know, like, that's, uh, you know, privacy things and all that stuff. And she's like, Samantha does so good. And especially at, like, keeping you <laughs> on track. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. I'll that's let you know. And that's the feedback. My sister-in-law said the same thing. She's like, you do such a good job getting her back on track. I'm like, good grief. This is my life. Well, I'm I by people with ADD. I'm used to it. We'll see how today goes. I'm I'm currently medicated now, so yay. Step one, good for you, Samantha. Uh, I appreciate it. I almost, um, I almost uh, accidentally. It was an accident. I almost intentionally forgot to take my medicine today. Uh, <laughs> that would have been rude. And then I thought about you, and I was like, you know what? I'll I can't do it. that to her. I do actually love her. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Anyways, so today I'm going to actually tell you about, which this is, okay, I started, before I tell you what I want to tell you about, I started researching um, vanishing vessels off of, like, the North Carolina coast. Um, There's a shit ton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. When you decided to do this theme, I was like, oh, she's going to have plenty. But me, on the other hand, I'm not on a coast. Not exactly easy. You're near-ish a coast. Well, so, and I kept flip-flopping. Like, I was, like, flip-flopping between, like, three different ones. And I I started writing notes for this one that I'm going to tell you about today. And then I stopped. And I started writing notes for another one. And then I stopped. And I was like, why don't I just combine all of them and talk about the the, uh, graveyard of the Atlantic, which is what it's called where all these ships have disappeared. And then I was like, but you can't do that. Like that's a whole episode. That's a whole episode. So I just can't like I circled back. You want to just do the whole episode. That's fine. I don't, I don't have it in me. I am so tired. <laughs> uh, so today I'm actually going to tell you about one of the thousands of missing vessel vessels <clears throat> that occurred off of the coast of North Carolina. And it is the Mary Celeste. I knew you were going to cover this one. 
Yeah. So you know mm-hmm. about it? No, I didn't read about it. I just saw it come up because it came up when I was looking for ones for Alabama. And I, as soon as I got to North Carolina, it's like, nope, that's going to be the one that she covers probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of the more well-known ones. There's definitely other ones that are just as well-known, but this is like the top one people go to. And I kept flip-flopping, like I said, between this one and two others. And I just like the thought of how just we'll get into it. Okay. And then I'll, I'll point out why I decided to go with this one when it comes up. Okay. Sure. Go for it. Okay. It started already. All right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. All right. So, uh, the Mary Celeste began its journey on November 7th, uh, 1872. It set sail with seven crew members, Captain, um, Benjamin Spooner Briggs, his wife, Sarah, and their two-year-old daughter, Sophia. Aww. I know. Yeah. Um, the 282-ton ship faced rough weather for two weeks in order to arrive at the Azores. The last log entry for the Mary Celeste was uh, recorded in Azores at 5 a.m. on November 25th. The British brig De Gracia, and I think it's De Gracia, is D-E-I and then G-R-A-T-I-A. Sounds close enough to me. Don't, <clears throat> don't come at me. Um, if you do, she won't care. <laughs> I won't. I, I just, I don't have it in me. So, um, the British brig, De Grasse, De Gr- it makes me think of Degrassi. Yeah, that's what I keep thinking. <laughs> it's just like, oh no. I don't, I'm afraid I'm going to call it Degrassi. So, forgive me, internet. Um, so this ship was about 400 miles east of the Azores on December 5th, 1872. When crew members spotted a ship adrift in the choppy seas captain david morehouse was taken aback to discover that he that the unguided vessel was the mary celeste which had left new york city eight days before him and should have already arrived in genoa italy he changed course to offer help eight days eight days yeah that's all it takes to get to italy it should have been closer to italy so it was okay. only, it, it, yeah, well, yeah, we'll get to it. It was like eight days back then seems like that's awfully fast. It kind of does, doesn't it? <clears throat> if anybody knows how long it takes to get to Italy <laughs> from a boat, don't let us know because I'm not going to read it. Anyway, Morehouse. I've already said, done the research. It's too late. <laughs> I know. I'm so, <laughs> once I'm done telling this, I'm like, I'm, my obsession's going to be over. Like, I'm done. Yep. I'm, I'm probably never going to go back to Vanishing Vessels, <laughs> even though I said I want to cover the uh, the graveyard of the Atlantic. Anyways, so uh, Morehouse sent a boarding party to the ship. Below deck, the ship's charts had been tossed about and the crewmen's belongings were still in their quarters. The ship's only lifeboat was missing. And this is not, I don't know if this is true or not. So it says the ship's only lifeboat was missing, but in some articles I read, like, there was one lifeboat missing, which kind of implicates that there were more lifeboats, but they were still there. So I don't know. 
take that with a grain of salt. It doesn't really matter. Well, I mean, that could be in, in like, telling of stories anyway. Because, I mean, this was a while ago. So, yeah, well, inconsistencies is not uncommon. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that, too. Um, so, the lifeboat was missing, and one of its two pumps had been dis, uh, disassembled. So, the pumps that pump water out of the boat. Right. Uh, three and a half feet of water was sloshing in the ship's bottom, though the cargo of 1,701 barrels of industrial alcohol was largely intact. There was a six-month supply of food and water, but no one around to eat or drink it. That's what freaks me out so much about this. It's how much? Six months worth of food and drink water. Okay, so it takes eight days to get to Italy, but you need six months worth of food and water? Well, you have to remember, like, they... I don't think it takes eight days to get to Italy. <laughs> they, <laughs> found the, they found the boat, like, off the coast, like, in the waters. Or it, what was it? It was four... Hold on. Da, 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 da. 400 miles east of the Azores. Da, 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 da. Which left New York eight days. So, yeah. So, it was, like... Nobody can see what I'm doing. So, you're, like... <laughs> In New York. No, wait, I don't know. I, I'm here, you know what? Honestly, I could barely even see it because you did it right, like behind the mic. So I, I, could I know. see it either. <laughs> You're what, trying. What is happening? It's just travel. It was just traveling down the coast from yeah. New York. Yeah. Basically, o- on its own. Instead of going, instead of going out to sea, it was just kind of. Yeah, it was. It was definitely not in the place that it should have been at, um, and we'll kind of get to that in a minute. Okay. But uh, during their search of the ship's daily log, sorry, during the search, the ship's daily log was found in the um, second mate's cabin or whatever, and it fi- and its final entry was dated at 8 a.m. on November 25th, nine days earlier. It recorded the Mary Celeste position off Santa Maria Island in the Azores, nearly 400 nautical miles from the point point where they found Mary Celeste floating. So they, it's pretty much implicating that they found this boat adrift, but it had been adrift for eight days. So it's suggesting that they were at sea for one day, which they wouldn't have made it 800 miles. And then somehow this ship made it, or they wouldn't have made 400 miles. Somehow this ship traveled about 400 miles on its own. Yeah, because I'm thinking, like, some, without anybody to control it, how likely is it that, A, it wouldn't capsize or fall over or whatever, or, B, go ashore earlier than that? Like, that's pretty far, I feel like, because the water normally pushes stuff to the shore. Yeah. That seems kind of odd. It's just, yeah, it, it's really weird. And we'll, like, they end up thinking that this is weird, too. So we're not alone in this. Um, we're all in this. Good, because I know nothing about any of this. I'm just guessing. <laughs> so, yay me. I don't know anything about, like, sailing or ships or anything like that, either. Uh, I just I've was, never been on a boat. Uh, you're not missing not a, out. Not a real boat. No, I, I don't feel like I am. I probably yeah. will end up having to do it at some point, because Paul will want to do it at some point and so I'll, I'll have to join and he'll be like see wasn't this a great idea and I'll be like nah not really but it's fine I'm glad you're happy well I'm glad he listens to this so he can hear um 
that well plus this stuff happens yeah this stuff happens the only reason like i was really interested in this whole like vanishing vessels and i know i didn't like exactly do it correctly just to counter this i know it was supposed to be like the boat disappeared but i was like this was creepier and also i'm a huge fan of ghost ship like that because I didn't follow the script either. I know. So. Well, I was like, Samantha <laughs> definitely didn't follow the script. So I'm just going to like, get away. I'm going to, I'm going to go with this as close enough. But have you, did you ever see the like early 2000s cinematic masterpiece ghost ship? No, you, you mentioned this last time and I told you, no, I just, I love it so much. Um, it, it's terrible. <laughs> I've watched it recently. Does not hold up. But like, I remember like the feeling that that gave me when I watched it. So that's why I wanted to do this. Um, Anyway, uh, they also found, or they actually didn't find the captain's navigation instruments. So they weren't on board. So in theory, he would have taken them with him. Uh, That's everybody's assumption. That's my assumption, especially if, you know, he took a lifeboat. Assuming he did. Assuming he did. Yeah. Uh, after the discovery of the Mary Celeste, the uh, De Gracia, I'm just going to call it De Grassi, I swear to God, helped crew the ship 600 nautical miles away. Under maritime law, a salver could expect a substantial share of the combined value of rescued vessels and cargo. The exact award depends on the degree of danger inherent in the salvaging. Since Captain David only had eight crew members to split between the two vessels, it would seem to be quite dangerous to me. Perhaps. But I'm not a sailor yet. One can hope one day. Sure. I would never do it. I was, I would never do it. The salvage court hearings began in uh, Gibraltar on December 17, 1872. Under Sir James Cochrane, the Chief Justice of Gibraltar, the hearing was conducted by Frederick Solly Flood, Flood, yeah, Flood, Attorney General of Gibraltar, who was also Advocate General and Proctor for the Queen in her office of admirality or whatever anyways these two guys are dicks fancy yeah they're and they're also dicks um flood described by historians of the mary celeste affair as a man quote whose arrogance and pomposity pomposity were inversely proportioned to his iq isn't that normal (laughs) isn't that normally how it works yeah and as the sort of man who once he had made up his mind about something couldn't be shifted, unquote. <clears throat> Sounds like an X or two I had. Um, so this dickhead, Flood, listens to the testimonies of the De Gracia crew and decided that a crime had occurred. He was like, yo, it was because of the alcohol. I don't know why I put that in quotes because this dude did not say that and I was not quoting him, but quoting yourself. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't seem like a guy who would say yo. Um, But basically his whole thing was like, Oh, it was because of the alcohol. 
On December 23rd, Flood ordered an examination of the Mary Celeste, which was carried out by John Austin, surveyor of shipping, with the assistance of a diver, Ricardo Portunato. Portunato, yeah. Austin noted cuts on each side of the bow, caused, he thought, by a sharp instrument, and found possible traces of blood on the captain's sword. His report emphasized that the ship did not appear to have been struck by heavy weather, citing a vial of sewing machine oil found upright in its place. Austin did not acknowledge that the vial might have been replaced since the abandonment, because, you know, there were four other people on this boat for days as they shipped it to Gibraltar. Nor did the court raise this point. Fortunato's report on the whole concluded that the ship had not been involved in a collision or a run aground. So it had not, like, gotten close to a shore line. Like I said. Yeah. That's weird. Uh, a further inspection by a group of Royal Naval captains endorsed Austin's opinion that the cuts on the bow had been caused deliberately. They also discovered stains on one of the ship's rails that might have been blood together with a deep mark possibly caused by an axe. These findings strengthened Flood's suspicions that human wrongdoing rather than natural disaster lay behind the mystery. On January 22, 1873, he sent the reports to the Board of Trade in London, adding his own conclusion that the crew had gotten at the alcohol and murdered the Briggs family and the ship's officers in a drunken frenzy. But the, sure, um, <laughs> they had cut the they had cut the bows to uh, simulate a collision. They fled in the yawl to suffer an unknown fate. Flood thought that Morehouse and his men were hiding something, specifically that Mary Celeste had been abandoned in a more easterly location, and that the log had been doctored. He could not accept that the Mary Celeste could have traveled so far while uncrewed. That's what I meant by, like, it's weird. It's weird, but, you know. It's possible. Weird things happen. Yeah. And it's just weird. It's weird to me that this guy comes to this conclusion when there's, like, so little evidence of it. And there's so much more evidence that they abandon the ship of their own accord. I mean, somebody can make it look like they abandon of their own accord, but... Why? There might be blood on a sword. Well, bro, that's what a sword is for. Uh, number one. Maybe he didn't clean his as often. Yeah. And the sword was sheathed under his bed. So it was like put away. And then. So why is he using the sword when he's being attacked? And then whoever did this when they were done and they dipped out, did they clean everything up? clean the sword up, like, put it under the bed, like, deuces, I'm out. Hi. You know? Makes no sense to me. I don't feel like they would be that smooth considering all the other stuff. Well, and considering they were apparently so sloshed that they decided to murder a family. (laughs) Come on, my guy. Come on. So, the owner of the Mary Celeste, James Winchester, scooted on over to Gibraltar. Why the do I write my notes like that? On January 15th, he was there to see when the ship would be released so that the cargo could be delivered. Because remember, it's still full of cargo. 
Our nemesis, Flood, demanded a surety payment of $15,000, which James Winchester did not have. Surprise. Which, I mean, $15,000 in, like, what, 1872, 73? That was a lot of money. It wasn't a little bit of money. Um... Apparently, Flood believed that Winchester might have deliberately engaged the crew that would, uh, yeah, engaged the cr- a crew that would kill Briggs, his family, and his officers as part of some conspiracy. So this dude is just like making up his own narrative, like wild narrative here. Instead of going with, when you hear hoofbeats, you think of a horse. This dude is thinking of a fucking elephant. He's like, no, no. Those are too loud. That's got to be an elephant. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, no, no. This is all a conspiracy for insurance money. Um, Winchester hired that crew to murder this family. But this is not the only thing that he believes. We'll get to it in a minute. On January 29th, during a series of sharp exchanges with Flood, Winchester testified to Briggs' Briggs's high character and insisted that Briggs would not have abandoned the ship except in extreme conditions. Flood's theories of mutiny and murder received significant setbacks when scientific analysis of the stains found on the sword and elsewhere on the ship showed that they were not blood. He then got another slap in the face when it was proven the marks on the bow were not man-made after all, but came from the natural actions of the sea on the ship's timbers. A la bitch. <laughs> you know shit about ships. Sit down, sir. Finally, the Mary Celeste. What your day job? Shut up. <laughs> Finally, the Mary Celeste was released from the court's jurisdiction. Uh, on February twenty fifth, two weeks later, she set sail to Genoa to finish her original mission. Now to the salvage payment. It was decided in, on April 18th. It was decided on April 8th that the payment would be 1,700 pounds. This is one-fifth of the total value of the ship and cargo. It was far lo- lower than the general expectation. One authority thought that the award should have been twice or even three times that amount, given the level of hazard. Pretty much... What is assumed is that the Chief Justice, Sir James Cochrane, our other dickhead, didn't like Morehouse. He was pissed that Morehouse sent his crew and the uh, Degrassi to deliver her cargo of petroleum while Morehouse remained at the disposal of the court early on in the hearing. He seemed to find this suspicious. You don't say. And so, like, they... They thought pretty much that Winchester hired a crew to kill that family. Something about insurance. And then they hired, Winchester hired Morehouse or Morehouse and Winchester colluded to cover the whole thing up. Like this is a lot of people to be involved in a conspiracy. I think you're just fucking stupid. The simplest answer is often the better answer. And so that is actually a good segue. So let's get some answers or let's get some theories. 
more questions. <laughs> <laughs> more questions. So first up is foul play, kind of what we already talked about. The evidence in Gibraltar failed to support Flood's theory of murder and conspiracy, yet suspicions lingered of foul play. Flood and some newspaper reports briefly suspected insurance fraud on the part of Winchester on the basis that Mary Celeste had been heavily overinsured. Winchester was able to refute these allegations, and no inquiry was instituted by the insurance companies that issued the policies. In 1931, an article in the Quarterly Review suggested that Morehouse could have lain in wait for the Mary Celeste. Then Laird Briggs and his crew aboard DeGracia, they, you guys know what I'm talking about, and killed them there. Paul Begg argues that this theory ignores the fact that the DeGracia was was the slower ship. She left New York eight days after the Mary Celeste and would have not have caught the Mary Celeste before she reached Gibraltar. So... That theory is stupid. Um, (laughs) Another theory posits that Briggs and Morehouse were partners in a conspiracy shared to salvage uh, proceedings. The unsubstantiated friendship between the two captains has been cited by commentators as making such a plan a plausible explanation. If Morehouse and Briggs had been planning such a scam, they would not have devised such an attention-drawing mystery. It was asked why Briggs left his son Arthur behind if he intended to disappear permanently. So he had he had like a baby son. He left with his mother. Um, left behind. Yeah, he left like okay. on short. Like who? Are you going to take, like, a six-month-old on the ship? I don't know why you took a two-year-old, but, like... I don't know. Arguably, would a two-year-old be more difficult than a six-month-old? I don't don't know. know. I don't know. I think they're all difficult. Um, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Another suggested uh, event, the event, was an attack by Riffian pirates who were active off the coast of Morocco in the 1870s. This just doesn't seem right to me because, well, there there's reasons behind, like, why these specific pirates were in there. I'm not going to get into that. This is already long enough. But pretty much, I don't believe it because there was a shit ton of alcohol on the ship and none of it was taken. So Hey, now that's making an assumption that pirates like alcohol. Well, it's not even just that they can drink the alcohol. Like, they can sell that and make a lot of money. That's what pirates are do. Although that's kind of what occurred to me that maybe somebody got on the ship and stole the navigation equipment. Because for a while, at least, um, navigation equipment was worth a lot of money because it was hard to come by. So that's just kind of occurred to me that maybe somebody stole that maybe it's hard for me to like imagine what you know what kind of equipment that was in the late 1800s simply because like was it electronic was it not like how did things work then i am navigation tools yeah oh i had to read a whole thing um with isabella when we were doing i was helping her with her school 
Um, it was very complicated. I don't know about what time all of the stuff was developed, but they had like um, these things called chronometers. And so like clocks, we didn't have even like digital clocks or anything like that. So they had to develop a clock that wouldn't get messed up essentially um, by the rocking of the boat because of the way that the components were. So that was something they had to develop. Then they had to figure out how, how to do latitude and longitude. Cause I think they had latitude, but longitude was harder to figure out or vice versa. I can't remember. Um, so then that made it even harder. So they fought, basically followed the stars on a lot of stuff. So they had a bunch of star maps. So depending on what the stars look like at a certain time of the year would tell you approximately where you were, at least in a general sense. That's why people got lost so often. I'd and be lost be so fast. Oh my God. Like you couldn't even get a reliable clock. I mean, it was usually off by quite a bit by the time they would get back to shore. Um, and then you're, you're going off of stars. Well, what if it's, what if you have nothing but storms for a long time and you can't see the stars? Well, then you're stuck. Yeah, you can only true. follow the sun as long as the sun's out and you can't drop anchor every single time the sun is gone because you might be in the deep ocean. So it was definitely like, especially if they were going to Italy, they probably would have had some pretty decent equipment to get you, them there. Yeah, you would think. And that equipment was very expensive because it was very hard to make. So like yeah. I said, I don't know how much of that is true for this time period. Um, I don't remember when all of that was going on, but I would imagine it would be pretty expensive. So that's why I was just thinking, like, I can kind of see somebody going onto the ship and, and like, stealing it and then yeah. taking a lifeboat and hightailing it out there. I, yeah, and just tossing the bodies over. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, maybe. We got we got some more theories, though. Some of these are a little bit more believable. Um <laughs> No. The next theory is kind of centered around the lifeboats. Basically, one lifeboat was cut from its ties, which is unusual. You would typically lower the boat to the water in case you needed to reel it back up eventually, not cut it completely. The discovery of the cut lines led to speculation that the Mary Celeste was abandoned quickly. Several, line, several times in the ship's log, there is mention of ominous rumbling and small explosions from the hold. Cargoes of alcohol naturally give off explosive gas, and these sounds described are quite common. Uh, no. Mm-mm. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I, thank you. I wouldn't be in a situation like that. Um, no. I'm just out on the middle, in the middle of the ocean. I'm hearing bombs going off under... No. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, thanks. Um, I can't see thinking, oh, that's just, that's just the alcohol blowing up down there. It's fine. Yeah, no, um, I'm on a hard pass. Uh, this is me <laughs> back in the 1870s. Hi, bye. Bye. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take that lifeboat real quick. Adios. <laughs> it supposes that one day there was a more intense explosion and a sailor ventured below deck with a light or lit cigar, which set off the accumulated fumes, fumes, um, causing an explosion violent enough to blow off the top covering on the hatch, which had been found in an unusual position. Okay. So it's like, uh, someone went to check on the noise cause it was like maybe louder than it normally is. And, uh, the idiot took a fucking open flame down there and it kind of <laughs> like, 
And so everybody jumped Oops. ship real fast. They cut it because they thought the whole thing's going to go up in flames before they realized, oh no, that's not the case. And, you know, we can't get back. Um, How much would that suck? Yeah, it would suck a lot. And lastly, we have natural uh, phenomena. First up in this category is water spouts. This natural, which... Okay. If you guys aren't from Alabama, if you're listening and you're not from Alabama, there's a man named James Spann. Um, he is the weather guru. And Montana Alabama. is in love with. I am in love with this man. He wears suspenders. And as if there's a really big storm, as the storm comes through and it gets more intense, he starts removing clothing. And it's just... Mm. Uh, anyways, he talked about... Um, he, he has a show... Uh, called uh, what what was it Uh, weather weenies or something like that I used to listen to Um, it's for kids and he had a whole episode on like water spouts so that's the only reason I knew about water spouts kind of excited about it oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah already then so this natural phenomenon generates a low barometric pressure which together with uh, malfunctioning pumps could have created an impression that the Mary Celeste was taking water rapidly. Because if you remember, their pumps were taken apart. Right. There was a sounding rod found on the deck of the ship. And, like, if you're an idiot like me and you don't know what a sounding rod is. Actually, you know what? Most people probably don't know what a sounding rod is. Be kind to yourself, Montana. I looked it up, so none of you have to. And also, Paul doesn't get frustrated with us for saying we don't know what it is. Exactly. Um. It is a portable staff gauge used for measuring the depths of liquids. So there you go. Mm, Means not a lot to me. Um, Pretty much the theory is that one of these water spouts popped up, their pumps were faulty, and they were taking on too much water. So they dipped out in a lifeboat. However, our boy Briggs was pretty skilled at sailing. Like, it ran in his family. I unfortunately, like, read a whole bunch about this dude. And, I mean, not unfortunately. He, it, you know, it was cool reading up on him. But I was like, I don't know why I need to know this much about him. Um, and if you do. That's I all. Know. I'm obsessive. Uh, no, I can't. <laughs> um, he'd been doing it for years and would know not to do this. Like he would have known what to do in a water spout situation. So maybe unlikely. I don't really know. I mean, have even ever seen it before a water spout? Yeah. In that area. I don't know. My assumption is that they probably have, or at least have heard about them. These aren't uncommon things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I mean, he his skills could have been inflated by those around him, but I still lean towards this didn't happen. So our second natural phenomenon, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, this theory, uh, da, 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 it's something I had never heard about, but have you heard of a sea quake? No, but I can kind of gather what that probably is yeah so it was a sea quake you know it's an earthquake but in the sea 
um, the kind of self-explanatory. A sea quake. <laughs> but I like I it's I mean, I know it I like words that help help you along by being what they sound like they are. I know, but like I had never thought about earthquakes happening in the sea. Like it's just not something that occurred to me. I was but obviously they do. The isn't that how tsunamis can get started? Like they're quakes in the middle of the ocean and the further closer they get to land, the bigger they get. True. Yeah. Hang on just a second. All right. Sea quakes. Um, so a sea quake uh, could have led to an explosion. The Azores are known as one of the most uh, seismically active zones on the planet. And sea quakes might have caused noxious fumes to escape and accumulate in the holds. Because, again, they're fucking taking a boat that's nothing but wood (laughs) with explosives on it. Yeah. Rocking it around. Yeah. Stirring stuff up. Open hatches and cargo holds point at some inspection or ventilation attempt. So Captain Briggs might have ordered to leave the vessel in fear of an explosion. Then maybe once they were on the lifeboat, some uh, speculate that the Mary Celeste may not have been properly secured and it got too far from the crew for them to return to it. I kind of can believe that something like this happened. Like they thought an explosion was imminent, especially in Mm -hmm. a, a sea quake. Um, But, again, if Briggs was such an experienced captain, why wouldn't he have secured the Mary Celeste properly before venturing off of it? I mean, yeah, but everybody has an off day, too, so. Yeah, and. Maybe he just wasn't that careful that time. Like, my thought was maybe one of his crew messed up when they went to secure the ship. It didn't have to be him, but I was just like, "Mm, maybe not and it wasn't a big crew, so maybe they were in a like a hurry or something. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, I don't I don't think earthquakes last that long. What seconds? I would think. I don't know a lot about earthquakes. Um, I'm not an earthquake uh, expert. It comes as a surprise to all of us. Anyway, over the years, there were many false tellings of the Mary Celeste and her crew. That's the last of our theories, by the way. Um, oh, okay. I'm not going to go over all of them because I've already taken away too much time, but I do want to point out two in particular. And these are false tellings, retellings. It was in January, 1884 issue of the Cornhill magazine. And it was one of the early, earliest works of Arthur Conan Doyle. You know who he is? That name sounds familiar. He, he was the, uh, uh, creator of uh he's a british well i also read up a little bit on him before when i was writing these notes because i was like oh i did like you and i was like oh he sounds really familiar why does this dude sound familiar and then i looked at it and i was like this dude was like a surgeon on a ship um and then i, I kept reading and i was like oh no he was previously and then he wrote like sherlock holmes and stuff like that anyways um so this was one of his earlier writings the story was titled uh, J. Habakkuk Jeffinson's statement. I don't know. Weird. Um, Nailed it. Yeah. Pretty much, it's a, it was a short story 
And it was fiction, but it was based on these factual events with the Mary Celeste. But many did take it as truth, so as people are wont to do. Fair. The second one, which it doesn't have uh, as much significance as our pal Conan Doyle, uh, was the Chambers... I just, I laughed when I read this one. Was in the Chambers Journal on September 17th, 1904, and it suggests that the entire crew of the Mary Celeste was plucked off one by one by a giant octopus or squid. Okay. <laughs> so, and, uh, I do, I do want to point out, like, giant squid have been known to attack ships. Mm-hmm. But, like... And it is a real thing. They they do exist. No, yeah, they do exist. But it's like a squid got close enough to this boat, didn't attack the boat, but picked everybody off of it one by one. Plus, they took uh, the captain's navigation yeah. instruments. like And, and this, the um, lifeboat. Yeah, this sounds factual to me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Never known. Yeah, whatever. People are wild. Sophisticated squid. What do you know? Yeah, it could be a sophisticated squid. Um, all right, so that's it for like what happened back then. Yada yada yada. Um, yada, yada yada. Yada yada yada. That's how I like to think of everything. It, that's what goes on inside my head most days. Um, Fair enough. Uh, the Mary Celeste currently. She continued to sell for 12 years after um, it was abandoned and finally struck the Rochelleis? R-O-C-H-E-L-A-I-S. Sure. Rochelleis? Rochelleis? You guys know. Uh, Reef. (laughs) Off the coast of Haiti and became stuck there. The ship is there today, and the shipwreck was discovered in 2001. So, you guys can go The ship was tired. Uh, Probably. I mean, I would be. That's a long time. I know, and I'm tired right now. So, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to enjoy this drink, and uh, I'm going to let you do your thing. I'm done. I'm done. I know it was (sighs) Okay, good job. That was very... No, no need to apologize. That was very weird. I know. It, like... It, fr- it freaks me out to think of, like, just coming up on, like, a boat that, like, nobody's there. And I've read several stories of them in my research. Oh, also, I found this story in Haunted North Carolina uh, by Patty Wilson. So that's how I actually found this story originally. And I wanted to do this story because of it. So check it out. Anyways, cool. it freaks me out. All right, so I'm going to give you something else to freak out about. Great. Great. Um, so just like Montana basically never follows the recipes to the drinks that we got, you know, that we pick, and we, and we she always does some kind of uh, special thing. I kind of seem to do the same thing with these joint episodes. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to pick that up. It sort of follows. It sort of follows, but it doesn't. Um But it's okay, because, you know, I'm here for it. It makes it interesting. So, Montana wanted to do disappearing vessels. And I, y'all, whatever. 
vanishing. Mine is going to be about disappearing vessels. You'll find out. Um, I could not find anything. Uh, I couldn't find anything about people who disappeared in vehicles or ships. Um, no ships that disappeared. Nothing that I felt fit. And then I was like, <laughs> okay, I have it. Because we've mentioned it before. So instead of doing... <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking I'm coming about it in a different way. I am going to talk about sinkholes in Alabama. <laughs> well, so they are still disappearing. We know where they are sort of, but they're definitely gone and it's a different situation. <laughs> and trust me, it, I have enough information that it'll freak you out. Well, um, yeah, and give you something and I love to worry that you're, about. You're doing this story like a week before I'm going to be in Alabama where like <laughs> sinkholes are like prevalent. So you're welcome. Like I'm not on my anxiety medicine no. anymore. Thank you for this. <laughs> so sit back, drink your drink, um, and get ready. So, and you know, I figured our caverns episode for some reason is really, uh, seems to be pretty popular. People seem to like it. So now you get to kind of hear a little bit more about that sort of thing. So after our caverns episode, I'm sure you're not surprised that Alabama is home to at least 4,306 caves. And that's just what's been found and registered. And it's also in the top five States with the most caves behind Tennessee with get this. Tennessee has 9,285 caves. That must be, which was like, that must be where all the like uh, hard boiled egg smell comes from. Probably. Uh, well, I mean, it, it makes sense because of the Appala Appalachian Mountains are right there. Yeah, but yeah. Texas with 5,872, West Virginia with 4,740, and Virginia with 4,339. Wait, but like Texas is fucking huge. Yeah, and Mississippi really still has more than it. <laughs> Not Mississippi. What? what? What was it? Tennessee. Tennessee. Sorry. Yeah. Texas is huge, but also it's an interesting area because I wouldn't have thought that they would have caves. It's the only one that's kind of out there, the outlier of all of these states. Yeah, true. Because all of us are around the Appalachians, and then Texas just hanging out with all these caverns for some reason. I mean, good on them. I don't know. Well, I mean, Texas. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. They yeah. always have to. They always have to have be up there in the top five for one reason or another. Um. And no. a lot of the time, it's not good. <laughs> this is very true. So knowing that fact, that there's that many caves, it can't be that surprising that Alabama is also in the top, actually number three, for the most sinkholes. Florida is number one. Texas is number two, again. And then after Alabama is Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, and oddly enough, Pennsylvania. Okay, Pennsylvania. So I don't really know how that, I don't, I don't know what's going on over there. Sorry, guys. No wonder the roads are Any. shit. <laughs> that's the truth if you're from pennsylvania you know i'm telling the truth <laughs> not being hurtful if you're from alabama you know that that might be why the roads are so terrible because they really are pretty terrible around here uh per the geologic survey of alabama on their website a sinkhole is a geological hazard directly related to the nature and distribution of the rocks underlying the state since the 1800s, GSA has mapped the distribution of these rocks and their characteristics and can provide data, maps, and reports related to the underlying geology and geological hazards within the state. This is very important for any 
developments and that sort of thing, they have to kind of look through all of that to see if there's any known areas that could possibly be a problem. Oh, did they did they have this research and this uh, information <laughs> when they started expanding 65 and half of it fell through? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Sinkholes are depressions in the ground that are linked to the collapse of an underground void. Areas that have sinkholes are known as karst terrain or karst topography. The karst forms follow several steps. Depends on the rock type. Typically, the bedrock underneath an area with sinkholes is made of limestone, which is one of the main things in the state of Alabama that is in our grounds, obviously. And that's composed of calcite. And calcite is, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that when an acid is added, it kind of dissolves. Thus, rain with acid in it can cause problems. Sandstones that contain calcite also can be susceptible to sinkhole formation. So you have the rock and then you have the dissolution. Rainwater is naturally acidic. So more rain equals more acid, which therefore erodes the, the ground. And then any caves, if you look at them and, you, and they talk to you about it, it's typically limestone in the caves. So it makes sense. So the weakly acidic water slowly dissolves the rock. As the dissolving continues, the cracks and crevices become larger, which forms the caves and caverns. And it continues to do that. So the area above the voids becomes thinner and thinner until eventually whatever's up top is too heavy and it collapses. And that's the third stage collapse. When the roof of the cave becomes too thin to support the weight of the ground above, it collapses. So what you're saying is eventually all of Alabama will just be one giant single. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> so California is going to break off from all of the of it being on a fault line and all the earthquakes. Alabama is just going to collapse into one solid sinkhole, and Florida is going to go underwater. We hope. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I know people who live there. I do so too. Do you. <laughs> so, what can trigger a sinkhole? Sinkholes can form a variety of from a variety of causes, including natural, but also man-made activities. And that is related to naturally dissolving voids and rock, a drop in the water table from drought or pumping of nearby wells, heavy construction, duh, that's why so many construction sites have a tendency to cause it, or weight on the ground, drainage problems, again, water, rain, collapse of underground mines, and excessive rainfall. In Alabama, the most common causes of land substance subsidence are the development of sinkholes in areas underlain by soluble carbonite rocks or ground collapse above abandoned mines which again makes perfect sense i just want to point out that our uh, friendship lamp is going fucking crazy over here oh sophia must be hitting it she loves to <laughs> do that by the way it's not always me <laughs> oh, okay in my defense <laughs> i was like do you have a ghost in your house no you just have children <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> she was like that thing keeps lighting up i'm like anytime it lights up just hit it it's fine so oh she's been God. all about it great so basically alabama if it's not caves if if as if it wasn't bad enough that we're we have caves everywhere that could potentially collapse at any moment we start making man-made ones by doing mines and then cause additional problems so you know go big or go home yeah, it doesn't or fall through a sinkhole. Whatever. Don't we um, mine lime? Yes. Yeah. Oh, why did I even ask that? Like, Dad's been on anyway. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, that's definitely oh. not the answer to this. But I think what happens when I ask questions like that, that I know the answer to, I'm like, Ooh, if I say that we do, what if you're wrong? Even though I know I'm right. <laughs> but you might not be. Who knows? I might not be. Oh my God. I should see. You'll learn when you say it. Two therapists. <laughs> Good goodness for your one anyway largest sinkhole in alabama and according to some websites it's also the largest in the u.s developed near colera in shelby county on december 1972 and it's been called the golly hole <laughs> like golly bill or something i don't know that's what my husband called it. <laughs> he's got that <laughs> not cutting it a local resident heard what sounded like trees crashing during the night the following day hunters in the area discovered a large sinkhole about 325 feet long 300 feet wide which is roughly a football field length across and 120 feet deep the sinkhole occurred during a drought when the water table was much lower than normal that's a big hole this (laughs) you think (laughs) this particular area of shelby county has had a history of sinkhole development and is underlined by soft limestones. Duh. Previous research indicates hundreds of historical collapse features within a 16 square mile area. Most of these historical and recent sinkholes are within the dry valley, which is underlined with deeply weathered Cambrian dolomites of the Knox group. So basically, they just have really soft rock underneath their ground. So cool, cool, cool. It's cool, prone cool, to it. Cool. The states with the highest number of, stink- of sinkhole formations, which I mentioned already, are Alabama, Florida, Texas, Missouri, and Kentucky, Tennessee, and, and Pennsylvania. In 1988, there's a photo, which I'll have the, the links on it, but some of these photos are interesting to say the least. Um, but in 1988, Johnny Collins of Ensley, it, it's, it's, there's a photo of him peering into a seven-foot deep sinkhole in his backyard. Can you imagine just like walking around and then all of a sudden, whoa, okay. Well, that's there. My dumbass would fall in because I don't pay attention. <laughs> You're right. And seven foot deep, it'd be way over your head. Um, let's see. In 1972, a large sinkhole formed in Shelby County, swallowing some of the surrounding woods, which is the one that I earlier mentioned. In 1964, a sinkhole swallowed an entire garage in Birmingham. A truck loaded with gasoline fell into a collapsing sinkhole in 1972 in Shelby County again. Responders ended up having to spray foam to prevent a possible fire, but I guess there just really wasn't much they could do because it just, full of gasoline, just fell in the sinkhole. Oh, my God. Which, when this kind of thing comes up, it's like, okay, so usually there's underground water. And that water is typically clean water that is also used for drinking and that sort of thing so that makes me wonder like it's got to go somewhere how much is, is that going into people's drinking water and stuff probably i mean oh, I, they probably like i knew this tasted funny it probably is i just thought it was the limestone for those of you that don't know limestone actually is a natural like filter it actually cleans water naturally so you'll find that a lot um in areas like that so it just made me think about it because, like, these trucks, they, they've had semis fall in and they're loaded with who knows what. And it's just gone. It's got to go somewhere. 
So I don't know. I, I, I'm glad I don't live in Shelby County. After I did for a while, <laughs> I know <laughs> that must be what happened to me. <laughs> That's it. Oh, that explains so much. Um, in 2010, an entire house started sinking into a massive hole in Madison. Don Kennedy and Sons house movers helped raise the foundation to try to prevent it from falling in. I didn't see a follow up to see if it continued to fall. That's the other thing. A lot of these sinkholes, depending on how deep they are, sometimes they can't fill them. So they just continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So I don't think raising your house is going to help it from falling into a sinkhole. I think it's already begun. Yeah, I. I guess that's what they were going for. They were hoping for the best. I'm not a sinkhole um, expert, but... Uh, I would just get rid of the whole thing. Also, I looked at it and insurance for this stuff. Whew, expensive. I bet. Because, I mean, they got to replace the whole house. A sinkhole off Graymont Avenue and 16th Street West in Birmingham swallowed an entire house. The hole was 75 feet wide and 30 feet deep at its widest. At its... Yeah, at its widest. A 2005 sinkhole on Claremont Avenue swallowed a part of a Nissan Xterra when it was parked near his home. The sinkhole was about 15 feet deep. The, so I want to know how it swallowed a part of it. I don't know. Maybe half of it 15 feet deep was cut off. I don't know. They're not <laughs> maybe, that big. I don't know. They're not that big. <laughs> no, they're not. That's why I'm like, how is it only... Maybe the hole wasn't that big. Um, like yeah. wide. It was deep, but maybe it wasn't wide enough for the whole car. To I think we just learned that sinkholes don't like centers either. So yeah, <laughs> maybe get a better car. Look, I love my Nissan, but it's an Altima. Wouldn't catch me dead in a Sentra. Well, that's Xterra. It's, I don't know what that is. Xterra. Uh, it's a, I think it's like a crossover slash SUV. Oh, version. still no. Um, <laughs> I'm stick with Altima. In 19... 19- in 1974, a sinkhole swallowed a 26-ton well drilling rig valued at $120,000. The sinkhole formed at Glover's Point on Logan Mark Lake, Martin Lake. The rig was owned by Fair Park Well Drilling Co. of Talladega. So, again, that probably had all kinds of oil in it. So, I don't know. Maybe it was just the rig, but that's a lot. I mean, that's what you get for drilling. Okay. Well, who's going to drill in Alabama? We don't have anything. Because this is for oil, it seemed like. Maybe I'm wrong. It didn't specify, but I would think it Can is. Can you drill for a other sinkhole? Things? Well, it says well drilling. So maybe it was just like water well, perhaps. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. A sink- I could look it up, but I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> a sinkhole Sink also hole. opened in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> it's your wife. I refuse to look it up. Uh, a sinkhole opened in the middle of the road in Wetumpka in 2009. And that's the other thing. These are still happening, by the way. Um, this one grew 10 times its original size before it was able to be filled. Great. A massive, sink- a massive sinkhole in Midfield near the Bessemer Superhighway swallowed an entire vehicle in a lot in 2021. In 2010, and this is the one that you were referencing... A 16-mile stretch of Interstate 65 had to be temporarily closed for two weeks due to a sinkhole on the north side, or on the outside northbound lane at mile marker 329.9 between Hartsville and Priceville. And it was closed again in February 2012 to reply, repair a slide on the outside shoulder. So best I could tell, a slide kind of seems like maybe what they fixed might have been 
sliding away a little bit and they had to fix it again so twice in two years they ended up having to fix that one area luckily it was discovered and repaired before any cars or lives were lost but yeah the a 16 mile stretch of one of the major interstates in the state the busiest one that i took every morning on the way to work (laughs) during this and so we had to like Oh my God. The traffic was incredible. Like it was just, they they diverted us into oncoming traffic. So you're like, like you're passing on an interstate. It was the scariest shit I've ever dealt with. And they say two weeks that horse, horse shit. It was not two weeks. Yeah, it it said two weeks, but I feel like it was longer than that. It was way longer than that. Cause fucking nightmare. It was a nightmare. It, I mean, it was a nightmare, obviously, for anybody traveling on that stretch of highway. Uh, what they would divert, they would divert them to 31. And I think, let's see, 2010. So uh, I-22 wasn't completed yet either, I believe. So they couldn't even divert the uh, the 18-wheelers onto 22 to get to Memphis. So 65 was still the main way for them to get through. Yeah. So yeah, it was a nightmare. And it was right, it's in that section right before like uh uh Interstate twenty and uh four fifty nine and all of it was like right before you got to that and that's where all those trucks were headed. That's why it was always congested. Twenty two. Twenty two, yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, and that that let's not get started on that. That was the longest project ever. Yeah, that construction. So yeah. Even interstates aren't safe, which you know. It's Alabama. Nobody's safe. And that was going but, on. Wait, that was going on when I worked with you. 2010. So, yeah, yeah. that would have been when you were working with me. Oh, my God. Flashback. Aww. <laughs> times. I feel old. And since we're on the topic and it's only fair, let's start covering some stories from a state where the most frequent sinkholes happen, which is in Florida. Um, And these are just, I'm going through these really quickly because there's not a whole lot of information, but um, it's just kind of funny, the kind of stuff, like it's, it's very crazy. I will end it on a unfortunate note, which will be the one that freaks you out, but great. So in Dunedin 2013, a boat pool and house fell into a 90 foot wide and 60 foot deep sinkhole, 60 feet deep sinkhole. Out of concern for safety, duh, homes were condemned and demolished in that area. I'm surprised Florida was concerned for anybody's safety. Number one, <laughs> well, that's a good point. Also, when you started when you started this out, you said what was it in Dundo? What was Dunedin? Dunedin? What? 15? 2013. Yeah it it almost sounded like you were reciting a Bible verse. I was like, I haven't heard this one before. <laughs> Uh, this is a special one. This is from Florida. What do you think? <laughs> special Florida verse for you. Oh God! All right. So when this one was well known, Winter Park, nineteen eighty one, a three hundred foot wide sinkhole, three hundred feet wide sinkhole swallowed a house, car repair shop, and cars, as well as a community pool. That's it. That's all. That's it. Great. No big deal. Akala in the 1950s. So this picture was bonkers. Um, pictures show multiple houses in the process of sinking, but residents of Akala continued 
just over a long period of time continued to experience sinkholes of various sizes and you have pictures where it's just like parts of houses are just like tilted and you can see that they're quite literally sinking into this sinkhole that's just random ones all over the place but like how yeah, i'm getting my butt out of there how quickly do sinkholes like occur is it like a quick sometimes one? it can be immediate but sometimes it does take a little bit more time well that's terrible because sometimes it's smaller and it expands and gets bigger great. before they can do anything about it great great and frost proof which i didn't realize was a real real city but apparently it is frost proof 1991 the owner barely escaped their her home that she had just bought a massive sinkhole measured over 150 feet wide and 60 feet deep oh my took, god took her home her. she barely escaped and it was she had just bought the home oh my god yeah how much would that suck <sighs> i mean at least she got out with your life right yeah but you're just in a lot of debt now <laughs> Man, can you imagine like you move into the house and you're just so excited? It's it's yours and, and you maybe get it right where you want to, or maybe there's still boxes there, and then you realize that you're sinking and you're looking around and you realize I need to get out of this house now. Well, she lives in Florida. From CNN.com, this article was from March 2013. It starts, and I'm quoting it straight from the article. The ground just swallowed him up. A Florida man fell into a sinkhole that opened suddenly, and that's why I say sometimes it's suddenly and sometimes it's not, that opened suddenly Thursday night beneath the bedroom of his suburban Tampa home, calling out to his brother for help as he fell, the brother said Friday. I ran towards my brother's bedroom because I heard my brother scream, Jeremy Bush told CNN's ABC 360. Everything was gone. My brother's bed, my brother's dresser, my brother's TV, my brother was gone. Bush frantically tried to rescue his brother, Jeff Bush, by standing in the hole and digging at the rubble with a shovel until police arrived and pulled him out, saying the floor was still collapsing. I couldn't get him out. I tried so hard. I tried everything I could, he said through tears. I could swear I heard him calling out. Jeremy Bush and four other people, including a two-year-old child, escaped from the blue one-story 1970s-era home in Sefner, a Tampa suburb. Unfortunately, the sinkhole that killed Jeffrey Bush in 2013, because no, they were never able to recover his body, oh, opened so up again in August 2019. The property was fenced off and the house was demolished after the incident, obviously. Um, and the sinkhole, when it opened up, it's actually pretty rare for it to reopen after they seal it, because I guess they have certain precautions. Um, so it reopened and so they had to put... A fence up to protect the area so nobody went in there and tried to mess with it oh but yeah that literally he was asleep in his bed when it happened oh so i leave you on that note that stresses me out <laughs> i'm so sorry but not sorry i'm so stressed i mean that. i'm gonna be at your house and i leave. watch i watch movies and they have like earthquakes right and the earthquakes cause the bridges to fall down. And I'm thinking, every time I see that, I'm like, well, that's like just a sinkhole in Alabama. <laughs> it just opens up and cars go in it. Like, I truly didn't know how. So if there, wasn't enough things, if there wasn't enough things to be worried about, here's another. Great. Cool. Don't come to Alabama. Cool. Okay. I'll call my dad now and tell him, um, fuck your birthday. You have to come to Alabama. You don't have an option. I was talking to our dear listeners. Mm-hmm. I might want to avoid it. Well, great job. Oh, I think. 
<laughs> well, my goal is to make it hard for you to sleep. So, oh, you, you accomplished. You've accomplished it. Good, good. But also, these uh, singles fascinate me. I although I did have a somewhat, and I tried to find firsthand accounts, but I couldn't find any. Um, I'm sure they're there, and I was searching it wrong. But I actually had this happen in my old house. Um, it was where so our at our old house we had a well. And there were two entrances to it. But apparently there must have been a third at some point And they had just covered it up. And we didn't realize that until one of our friends was backing up his truck. And his tire sunk into the ground. <laughs> and we ended up having to like get it, pull it out. And, and have somebody pull his truck and put something in front of the tire. And when he, he moved, we looked down. And there it was a sinkhole that had just started opening up. And it was... I don't know how many feet down. I mean, it must have been 20, 30 feet. And it just went straight down. And it was exactly the size of a well, like that had been dug out. So somehow they had covered it up and, and it, the there was a well, obviously. So there was running water. And eventually the running water had just pulled out everything that they had used to fill that well up. And so it was just wide open all over again. Because of course it did. <laughs> Because, of course. But luckily, nobody got hurt. His truck was fine. He got it out. And then uh, we spent the next, I don't know, two, three, four weeks filling it up with various uh, wood and dirt and rocks to try to get it to be somewhat solid. And after a long time, it actually did. And it was fine. But honestly, at some point, it'll probably happen again. Well, yeah, because like I said, all of Alabama is eventually going to be one giant sinkhole. So, <laughs> I mean, it seems like it. Well, it it'll be Tennessee first if they've got nine thousand two hundred and eighty five caves. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I think it'll be. They'll just first. take you down with them. Um, well, yeah, because we're right next to them. More than likely. Um, well, good job. Um, I'm terrified yeah. to be there in two weeks, less than two weeks. No, um, you're not. I, I always You'll forget about it. That's true. Damn, you got me. That's the benefit of ADHD. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you don't remember so long. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Um, this was the first. So this was a roller coaster. It's it's been a wild ride. Uh, we had two very different stories. Um, I'm probably that don't really match the theme at all. <laughs> no, no. Um, one day we'll get these right. But hey, we did that. Yeah. We did a thing. We did a thing. Um, so we're going to end hope this. you enjoyed it somewhat or found it interesting. Yeah, true that. Uh, we're going to end this thing because now I get to spend an hour and 20 minutes uh, editing this. So <laughs> thanks for listening. Let Where me it. can they find us on the webs, on the socials? Uh, on the socials. Uh, Facebook and Instagram at Rupert Hills Podcast. How about email? Uh, you can email us at reapergals at reapertales.com. Email us your social. Just email us that. Your social. Don't do that. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, that one to yourself, please. Don't send us your social. Um, email us your show suggestions. Um, you know, email us to tell us anything that you want, um, as long as it's nice. Um, yeah. And then what Spread was our positive? Yeah. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, like, make a comment, leave a worded review, all, all those things. You guys know what to do. Um, anyways. 
at, at this point, more I, than likely. I yeah. sure hope so. Um, so until I have faith in you. Um, yeah. Until next time. <laughs> Love you, Mina. Bye. Sorry, I'm going to burp. The Reaper will come for us all.